You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. All right, it's great to see you today. James 1 is where we're going to be. So if you want to go ahead and grab your Bible and turn to James 1, that would be great. If you need a Bible, underneath every two or three seats, you should be able to find one. So feel free to, uh, to grab one of those. James chapter 1. So if you have stumbled in today, this is your first time at Stonegate, we are in part four of a set of sermons called Sons and Daughters, where we are looking at this big biblical doctrine called adoption. That this amazing grace that God would look at you and I, rebels who have fired the first shot at God, and he would look at us and say, I'm willing to slay my own son to have you as a son, to adopt you into my family. This is, this is what we're talking about, this huge biblical idea of God's amazing grace expressed to us by, by God looking at us, adopting us into his family and pronouncing over our life, son or daughter. I mean, that, that is amazing grace. And one of my hopes for us over the last three weeks is that if you can just picture your crew having lunch today and randomly someone mentions the word adoption, with no context, it just mentions the word adoption, just blurts it out in the middle of the conversation, that your first thought when you hear the word adoption would be to think vertically before you think horizontally. For you to first to think God's adopting grace for, for, for us, bringing us into his family, before you think horizontally, like another human being adopting, you know, another human being. And so this is my hope for us, that more and more God would begin to, to bring in bright colors just how gracious he is, specifically in looking at you and I and saying, I will be your father. You're, you're going to be my son and daughter. This is all the privileges that you now have as a son or daughter of mine. So that's where we've been. Now today we're going to make a turn and we're going to talk about horizontal adoption. And I want you to know up front that I have an agenda so I, mean, now, I hope that this is a biblical agenda, and I, I hope I can convince you of that. This is aligned, like this agenda aligns with God's heart, and it's God's agenda ultimately more than it is my agenda. So I, so I hope that, that we can get there by the end of this. But I want to put all my cards on the table. Um, this is why I'm a really bad poker player. All the cards are on the table. I want you to see exactly what, what I'm going for today. It is my hope that God would use this set of sermons in general, and today in particular— to stir up in our church family a desire to be involved in the cause of and care for the orphan. Now that is a call on everyone. If you're a son or daughter of God, if you're a Christian, you put your faith in Jesus, that call right there is for all of us. That's an all-inclusive, everyone in the room, call of God to be involved in that. Now, now I, I've got one, one, one more little piece of the agenda. Like within that call for all of us to be, in call, you know, to be involved in the cause of the orphan, I have this hope that God would use today in particular to start to stir up among many in our church family a desire to, to express like in one form of orphan care. So this is just one form of it, that God, God would kind of stir up this desire in a lot of families in this room to adopt and or foster. So, so we have this all-inclusive call up here, and now we have this smaller call of like, in, inside of this bigger call, this specific form of orphan care of adoption and fostering. And my hope is that literally dozens and dozens and dozens of families within our church family would be moved by God to enter into the fray of that thing right there. So, so this is the agenda. In light of God's adopting grace of us, that that would just be exploding in our heart and have to have this release, and that that release would, would move many of us in this room to engage in, in the way of adoption and foster care. Okay, so that's the agenda. Now we're going to tear into it. James chapter 1. James 1. Look at verse 27. I, I actually just want to look at one verse today. And I want to try to convince you that this is like really the God that you serve and, and that we have. James 1 verse 27 says this, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father. And I just love that it says Father right there. James is just wanting to remind us that this is not just God. This is written to the church. So if you're in Christ, this is not just God to you. This is Father to you. That religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. And here it is. Like this is what real, the, the real deal stuff looks like right here. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained 
from the world. Now, before we go on, let, let me just take a moment to pray for us in this room. Man, that God would take this verse and just massage it really deeply into our bones this morning. So God, will you do that? God, I pray that for many that right now are, are when they just hear the word adoption or foster care, they're, they're automatically resistant to that. God, I pray that that resistance might be melted today and that would be melted by the reality of your amazing grace given to them and how you have adopted them and how you have cared for for them when they were fatherless. And God, I pray that as we soak in the amazing grace of your adoptive love for us, that it would move all of us to be engaged in the care of the orphan. So God, will you, will you do that today? God, will you, I mean, just blow this room up and our hearts up for this? It's in your good name. Amen. So James 1.27 has a word in it that I want you to be really familiar with in a biblical sense and in a like, what is the status in the world of, of this word? And that word, you'll, you'll see it there, is the word orphan. To visit orphan and widows in their affliction. That word orphan. So l- let me just give you a kind of reacclimate us to the biblical setting of that word. So it's used 41 times in the Old Testament, two times in the New Testament. It's normally translated orphan or fatherless when it's used. And it, and it normally refers to both parents having died, but it can also refer to one parent that have died, usually the father. And the context of of how that word is used a lot of times doesn't tell us which one of those two it's talking about. So it can be used both ways, both parents and or one parent, name of the father having died. But more generally in the Bible, it is used to describe the crew of people who are the most vulnerable, like the most unprotected, the weakest the most susceptible to, to evil. It, it's used to describe that crew of people in the Bible that, that are the most vulnerable. It's usually, and by the way, that's why it says visit them in their affliction because that's where these people, this crew of people normally find themselves is in the midst of great affliction. Like when, when sin hits the fan in any given place, when sin hits the fan, these are the first people that suffer, orphans. And it's usually, that word orphan is, you normally find it in a triad of words. And the triad goes like this, orphan, widow, and alien, or foreigner, or sojourner. Like, like a person that's not from here, that moves in here, has no idea what's going on in this culture. Like it's, it's used to describe this crew of people who are the most vulnerable. Like the, the, the vulnerable of the vulnerable, the weakest of the weak. Like these, these people that literally, they're living on a razor's edge when we're talking about life's necessities. Not luxuries, necessities. They're on a razor's edge. And any little twitch in that razor and they get sliced up. The, the, these are the people that biblically we're talking about when we are talking about the word orphan. Now let me kind of reacclimate us to the condition across the world of this word orphan. UNICEF, United Nations Children's Fund, UNICEF. They estimate that there are between 143 and 210 million orphans worldwide. 143 to 210. Now, you can obviously see that just by the wide range of that estimate, that it's a really hard thing, much harder than you would first think, to nail down the actual number. That's a hard task uh, to do. Now, UNICEF, in their definition, they are including, in their definition of orphan, they include losing both or one parent. So if when you think of orphan, you think both parents, you would obviously scale that number down. But in this, in this number that UNICEF gives, they also don't include a lot of the world's orphans in it. That they would not include those who have been abandoned by their parents to the streets, They would not include those who have been sold into slavery or sex trafficking. They would not include any of those. It would not include any of the uh, mostly Middle Eastern countries who do not report orphan statistics. It would not include any of of that. So in in light of all of that, I'm just going to use 150 million to describe the worldwide orphan problem. 150 million. That is one half of the population of the United States of America. Orphans. One half the population. We normally set out like roughly 500 chairs in a room like this on Sunday morning. If you put all the the world's orphans into this room, it would fill this room 300,000 times. That's the status worldwide of the orphan problem. Now, I, I normally don't quote Joseph Stalin, 
but I'm going to today for just a second. Because I'm well aware of how big numbers, like what that does in a room. Like big numbers, if we, if we say 150 million, we don't even have like a concept to grasp that. And, and so jo- Joseph Stalin, very keen on this, uh, would say this, the death of one person is a tragedy, the death of a million is just a statistic. Like we can look at 150 million and just think, oh, that's kind of sad. But it's, when it's one person that you know and love, that's when it feels like a tragedy. And, and so to break this big number, 150 million down, fill this room 300,000 times, to break that down, I, I need to ask you to do something that's probably going to be fairly painful for a lot of us, for many of us in the room. But I'm going to ask you to use your imagination for a second. And I'm going to ask you not to think in terms of 300,000, in, in terms of 150 million. I'm going to ask you for a second to close your eyes and I want you to picture your son or daughter. Just, just close your eyes where you are, and I just want you to get your son or daughter in, in your mind. And, and if, you, if you're not a parent yet, you don't have a son or daughter, just picture someone that you really love, that you really value. A person that, that you would look at and say, man, my, my heart is big for that person right there. Just picture that person. Now I want you to picture that person, if it's a son or daughter in the room, your, your son or daughter, And I want you to picture them being born in the Ukraine. And and just the fact that they were born is an expression of God's amazing grace, knowing that just in a neighboring country, Romania, for every one baby that is actually born, three are aborted. So so it's amazing grace that they just made it there. But for whatever reason, their parents left, your son or daughter, they, they left them on the steps of an orphanage where they get very little attention from overworked and underpaid staff. Like like when they cry, no one comes. When they cry, no no one comes and picks them up. No one comes and hugs them. They they grow up without the affection of a mom and dad, without the security, the provision of a mom and dad who loves them. They grow up in this orphanage, and they're segregated from kind of the mainstream society. And there's a great chance, and listen, we're talking about your son and daughter here, not just a nameless face in the crowd, but your son and daughter. There's a great chance that at some point in the room that they sleep in, there is going to be someone walk into that room in the middle of the night and sexually assault them. Now now see, when that's that's a big statistic, that that just kind of makes you really sad. But when that's your son or daughter, that makes you want to vomit. And as your child grows up, the older they get, the less lovable and adoptable they become. And I want you to imagine that this is your child speaking these words recorded from an actual orphan in Russia. So recorded by Tom Davis in his book, Filled of the Fatherless. I want you to imagine that this is your son or daughter saying these words. I hated my life since the third grade when I was unmercifully beaten. I felt then that life is lost and death is looking for me. And my tears were telling me that life was nothing in comparison with death. I felt like a little cockroach which responds in fear when anyone sees them. I want you to imagine your child now turning 16. They're still a year short of finishing what would be the equivalent of high school here. And they, along with 14 other orphan kids around the world, age out of the system. So so they're 16 and they're booted out and they are left to now fend for themselves. Now, if you're picturing your little girl, here's what you have to picture now. That the chances are when she walks out of that orphanage, she is going to walk directly into the hand of a pimp where she'll likely be given to please the sick appetites of people all around her. And if you're picturing, maybe it's a son for you, that then you've got to picture this, that in order to survive, when he walks Out of that orphanage, he has to walk right into a life of crime just to survive. 
and son or daughter, doesn't matter which one here, son or daughter alike, by the time they've reached 18, that there is a great chance that they're going to experience this moment where the prospect of death seems so much better to them than the prospect of life to, to the point that in a moment of despair, they will take their own life. Now, go ahead and look up here at me. Welcome to the worldwide orphan problem. That this is the issue. I mean, I, I, can't, I can't think about that. I mean, when, when we move like from statistics up here to like boots on the ground, like these are, these are like actual lives. They're, they're sons and daughters just like yours and just like mine. I mean, I can't think about that without that doing something to my heart. Now, now it's really easy for us to think, well, the orphan problem is just out there somewhere. It's not, it's not here. And that would be a false way of thinking about this. It's not just an out there or over there thing. That is a right here thing as well. So, so we don't have like orphanages in the U.S., but we have a thing called the foster care system that is how we deal with and how we care for orphans here. Now, I, I want to just say this just to make sure that we're all seeing this clearly. It is a definite step in the right direction from an orphanage. But at the same time, it's important that we all know this, that it is still fraught with a million difficulties for kids in it. I mean, a million difficulties. So, so just, just know this, that, that right now, 500,000 kids in, in the foster care system in the U.S., 130,000 of those roughly, of the, of the half million, 130,000 of those right now are currently adoptable. Like they are awaiting adoption right now, roughly 20% right now awaiting adoption. Now listen to what happens, you know, and knowing that the older they get, the less adoptable they are. Now listen to what happens when they age out at 18. At 18 years of age, when they leave the foster care system, and by the way, that's roughly 18,000 kids a year age out. 50% of those won't have a high school uh, diploma or GED, almost half. 42% will be convicted of a violent crime during their life. 20% will at some point in their life um, be homeless. Like, like this is the condition of kids who age out of our foster system. So you can just see that it's fraught with a million difficulties as well. I mean, I can't read that and see that and think about that without thinking of my son or daughter in the midst of that. I mean, that just absolutely wrecks me when I think about it. And in light of that big orphan problem over here, 150 million kids in this category, I want us to see two things today. And here's the first thing I want us to see. The first thing is I want you to see God's heart for the fatherless. Like what it does to God's heart when he sees 150 million kids in that sort of a condition. God's heart for the fatherless. Now, I'm, I'm going to kind of do a survey of a bunch of Old Testament texts. I'm going to have five or six or seven of them on the screen. And literally, we could put in its place another 15, 20, 30 if we wanted to. I just want to give you a sampling of what the Old Testament is going to say about God's heart for those who are fatherless, for the orphan. So I'm going to start in Psalms 68.5. And I want you to see how God refers to himself in Psalm 68.5. Here, here it is. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God is saying, if you want to know how you can refer to me, like this is how God describes himself. If you want to know how you can think about me, how, how you can refer to me, what name you want to call me by, here, here's a name you can go with. Father to the fatherless. That, that's who I am. Now I want you to look at, this is who God is, and I want you to look at an expression of God's love, love for, for the orphan and the laws he creates for them. So this is going to be Exodus 22, verse 22. This is the first time you see the word orphan or fatherless appear in the Bible. Exodus 22 says this, You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. Now that is an expression of God's love and care for and broken heart for the orphan. For, for the widow, for those who are the most vulnerable. This is an expression of God's heart of love for them. Now I want you to listen to this warning that God gives. Here's my law. You better take care of them. Don't, don't, don't be mistreating them. Here's the warning, verse 23. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword. And your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. Wow. 
Here's how one pastor described that. From the get-go, this is, remember, this is the first place we see fatherless appear in the Bible. He says, from the get-go, this is freight train serious to God. It's that serious. Like, like God's that concerned about this deal right here called care for the orphan. God's heart is that big for the care of the orphan to say, man, you, you mess with them, we're going to have a problem. But God doesn't just make laws for them. God also acts on their behalf. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 18. It'll be on the screen for you. It says this. So this is not just who God is. This is what God does. This is how God operates and moves and acts in the world. Deuteronomy 10, 18, it says this. He, God, executes justice. In other words, he works on behalf of. So, so he is coming to the aid of. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Psalms 146.9, the Lord watches over the sojourners, the, the aliens, the foreigners. He upholds the widow and the fathers. In other words, he takes his hand out and he puts them in his hand and he cares for them. He upholds them. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. And I want you to also see how God hears the cry of the orphan. This is Psalms 10, 16. 17 and 18 says this, the Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. Verse 17, O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. There is a sense in which God's ear, ear is especially tuned to the channel of the orphan especially tuned. And I want you to see just the promise of blessing that comes along with the care for the orphan. Deuteronomy 14, verse 28. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your town shall come and eat and be filled. Now, I want you to see this last phrase. So, so he's saying, you're going to come and you're going to bring your stuff and you're going to allow your stuff to be an aid to, to help, to protect, to aid in the rescue and, and protection of the fatherless, the, the most destitute, the most vulnerable. And for those of you who do that, listen to what God says, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. Now, I love that. That's an expression of a God who really cares for the orphan. He's saying this, if you bless them, guess what I'm going to do to you? I'm going to bless you. If you want a way to get yourself in the way of the blessing of God, to just get yourself right in the path of the, of the way of the blessing of God, if you want a way to do that, here's your way. Get your life intertwined with an orphan and watch it happen. That is like, God, God's saying this, if you want your life to just be smack dab in the middle of things that I bless, do some of that stuff right there. Get, get your life involved in that cause right there, the care of the orphan, and just watch how I do that. Now, let me just summarize what I think God is saying in the Old Testament here in these verses. And literally, we could just exchange that for another dozen or a couple of dozen of them. I think he's saying this, I am freight train serious about this. That like my heart is, remember those hundred. 50 million orphans out there, my heart bleeds and is broken over those orphans. My heart is big for those orphans. I am for them. I am for the fathers. I am for people who get their life intertwined with this group of people. I am for that. This is what God is saying here. Now, if you want the ultimate expression in the Bible about how God is for the fatherless, you actually have to go to the New Testament right at the end of the Gospels. You have to go smack dab right into the middle of the cross of Christ. Because this is where we see in HD, bright, big, vivid colors, just how much God cares for the fatherless. I, it, the Bible is going to say this about humanity in general. That if you want a way of looking at the world, here, here's how the Bible would say you can look at the world. It is full of spiritual orphans. That, that, that's the Bible. Ever since Genesis 3, when our first parents fired the first shot at God, every one of our first parents descended, me, descendants, me and you included, every one of us have chosen the same way. The, the same path. We have all fired another first shot at God. We have all run from God as fast and as hard as we can. Rather than being in the family of God, we have been estranged from God. 
And it's because of our own doing, our own desires, our own wants. Rather than being in the family of God, we would all, you and I, we would all pick the gang of Satan. This is all of us in the room. And the Bible's going to say that the plight, now listen to this, the plight of a physical orphan in the world, as bad as that is, does not compare to the plight of spiritual orphans who are going to, for the rest of eternity, live under the wrath of God. That's the plight of of, of spiritual orphans. But the great news of the Bible, so so we've got the bad news. The universe is an orphanage, a spiritual orphanage. But but the great news of the Bible is God has done something about this all-inclusive orphan problem. God has has done something about that. God, rich in his mercy, has provided a remedy for our estrangement. He has sent his own son, Jesus Christ. Aren't we thankful for that? To live a life that we could never live, to die the death that you should have died, that I should have died, that we deserved, to die that death for us in our place where Jesus fully absorbed the wrath of God for our sin, risen from the dead on the third day. This was God's way of making a way for you and I to come back into his family. This is is the picture here. This is God's heart for the fatherless, for the orphans, both physical and spiritual, as God is saying this, I will do whatever it takes to bring you back. Even at the cost of my son, I I will lose my son so that I can make you a son or daughter. I will slaughter and sacrifice my son so that I can save you from my wrath and bring you into my family. This is God's heart for the fatherless. I was listening to a pastor recently describe an adoption story that happened in his church. He had a couple that uh, they, they were all in for adoption and they were just waiting. They were like days away from like actually getting the baby. So uh, the, the birth mom was about to have the baby and I mean, days away from all of that going down, and they got a very chilling phone call. They got a phone call, and um, the the lady on the other line let them know that they just found that there are significant physical issues with this baby. We're talking like life-altering, serious, really, really bad. And and the lady on the line said, you've got tonight to think about whether or not you're still in for adopting this, this baby. And so that night, this couple went to sleep with that on their brain. And in the middle of the night, the lady dreams this dream. She said, in the middle of the night, I I saw this picture of an entire stadium full of people. And everyone in the stadium was like these adoptive parents, prospective adoptive parents. And, And people were bringing, you know, children awaiting adoption out And they look so lovely and so beautiful. I mean, just precious little kids. I mean, just incredible looking. And everyone, you know, on the floor, everyone in the stadium, it was just like going to the highest bidder. It was this person standing up, I want them. Another person, no, I want them. I mean, it was just this beautiful scene of these parents who really wanted these kids. And, And then all of a sudden, there was this one baby brought out who was really messed up, who looked really unlovable. Who, who nothing about this little baby looked desirable. Nothing about this little baby looked pretty. Nothing about this little baby looked cute. And all of a sudden, this stadium that had so much energy in it, so, so, you know, all these people, man, I want it, no, I want it. All of that happening fell completely silent. And, and all of a sudden, the, the camera zooms in, and she said, in that moment, I saw that I was the little baby girl. No one standing up. And she said, in that moment is when I looked around and Jesus stood up and said, that's the one I want. That, that, that's, that's mine. That, that's the one that I want. That, that one right there that is unlovable, that has nothing desirable about them, that's the one that I want. Can I just tell you, if you're in Christ, that's your story. That is your story that you were the unlovable baby that no one wanted. You were the spiritual orphan that God looked at and said, I want you. And this is how bad I want you. I will slaughter my son to get you. Now, can can we just take a second and see that's the gospel of Jesus Christ right there. That that is the expression. The gospel is the expression of just how big God's heart is for the fatherless. 
But that's an expression of it. Now, now, let me just take one second here. And if you're in this room and there's never been a moment where you have put your faith in Jesus, can I just appeal to you? This is what's waiting for you. Spiritually speaking, you're on display in the stadium and no one else wants you because you're unlovable. But here's what Jesus does. He stands up and says, no, I want you. I want you bad enough that I will, I will pin myself to a cross to get you. And then for, for anyone in the room, if there's never been that moment in your life, I just want you to know the good news of the gospel is that God stands ready and willing like right now in this moment to adopt you, to bring you into his family, to cure all of your estrangement. Like right now that can happen. This is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And listen, if you're in Christ, this is your story. That is your story. You have been the recipient of God's fatherly affection, of God's big heart for the fatherless. That's your story. Now, in light of that, we're ready to read again James 1.27. In, in light of being the recipient of God's amazing grace, adoptive grace, His mercy in bringing us into His family, in light of that, us being the recipient of His care for the fatherless, in light of that, now we can read James 1.27, and it actually starts to make sense to us. James 1.27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Big idea. In the Bible, we see this. God's heart is for the fatherless. But we also see this, that God intends his sons and daughters to reflect his heart for the fatherless. That there were to be reflectors of God's heart for the fatherless. This is what James 1 is showing us. That just like God's heart is for the, the afflicted, for, for the downcast, for the most vulnerable. He's saying that as a son or daughter of mine, I want you to catch my heart. And I want you to show my heart to the world. And, and it's almost like James 1.27 is giving us like a test to kind of look, like to evaluate and kind of look at our faith through. Like he's saying this, that if you want a test of, if you want to evaluate, is your faith like genuine? Is it like real deal, pure, unadulterated? The, I mean, the real stuff, is it, is it legit? If you want a, a lens to look at that through, here, here's the lens. He says it looks like this. It looks like a person who will visit the orphan and widow in their affliction, in their distress, in their despair and desperation, that will visit them there. Now, I love that word visit. That word visit has beautiful, redemptive overtones that run throughout it. That, that same word visit was used in Exodus 4.31. People of Israel in bondage in Egypt, it, it's used there in Exodus 4.31 when God says this, the Lord had visited the children of Israel in Egypt and he looked up, upon their affliction. See, that word visit has those redemptive overtones. That word visit is not God saying, hey, I'm gonna keep you at arm's distance and I'm going to do like from over here what you need done to rescue you. That's not it. Th that word visit has this sort of a view. It is God rolling up his sleeves for the people of Israel and God jumping down into the muck and mire of their mess to bear their burdens with them. Th that's, that's the idea of visit. See, and when it's talking about visiting the, the orphan and widow in their affliction, it's saying this. It's not, a, it's not like an arm's length distance away from them. It is intertwining your life with them. It's rolling up your sleeves and getting in the muck and mire of the mess of their life and bearing their burdens with them, B bearing their wounds with them, bearing their hurts with them. And listen, that is painful. That's going to mean you're willing to expose your heart in the care of the orphan. You're going you're gonna to expose your heart to the great joys of that, the great pleasure of that, and the incredible pain that's associated with that. This is what, this is what God is calling us to. Now that is a all-inclusive call. That's not like for a select few. That's not a hobby of a few Christians. God is saying, this is what real faith looks like. If you're a son or daughter of mine, that you would catch my heart for the fatherless and that you would reflect my heart for the fatherless, that you would be engaged in this thing, that you would be a part of this thing, that you would be moving in this direction with your life. So, so I think it's like actually a really good just moment here to say this, why don't you just take a look at your life and ask yourself the question, if this is like the mark of genuine faith, this is like what, what it looks like, 
Okay, it's, it's more than this, but it's definitely not less than this. If this is what it looks like, man, man, I think it would just beg the question, like, how many orphans do you know? How many orphans are you visiting? And I'll tell you what that question feels like for me, a punch in the gut. Let me just try to to acclimate us to like the local orphan problem. So over the last year in Ellis County, there were 52 kids in foster care. In the wider Metroplex area, there were 5,422 kids in foster care over the last year. In Ellis County right now, there are seven children currently awaiting adoption right now in Ellis County. And if we widen that out to the the counties that that make up the Metroplex in general, if we widen it out to to those counties, there are 899 right now in those counties that are currently awaiting adoption. Now, okay, so in just in light of us being the recipients of God's adopting grace— in light of us seeing God's heart for the fatherless, in light of this call that God has put on our life to reflect his heart to, to the world, to show his heart to the world, I, I think it just makes us ask the question, how in the world can there be seven kids awaiting adoption in the county and almost 900 in the greater DFW area? How can that be? How, how in the world is that possible? In light of what we've experienced, how how could that be true of our local area? You know, I I did like a quick Google search, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here. It said that there's 2,000 churches in the DFW area. 2,000 churches. Now, I would personally think it's a little bit more than that, but whatever. We'll just go with 2,000. How in the world can there be 2,000 churches in the DFW area, and there at the same time be 900 kids right now awaiting adoption? How is that possible? I mean, wh- where has this happened in-, in what we're doing around here? It's crazy. So now in light of this, here's what I want to do for the rest of our time. There is a call on all of our life to engage in the cause of and care for the orphan. Now I want to take one sliver of that engagement and talk about adoption and orphan care. And I want to, I actually, I'm going to take a minute here in just a second to plead with every family in here to consider this. Okay, so I want to talk about this one, one sliver. Now let me preface, let me preface this by, by saying two things. The first is this. Adoption and foster care is not going to, in and of itself, is not going to solve the orphan problem by itself. So he, here's what orphan care and our, uh, adoption and foster care do. They are dealing with the, the bad fruit of the problem, not the bad root of the problem. So see, the, the orphan problem is a multi-layered thing. It's got a lot of different components to it. Some things are down here closer to the cause of things. Other things like, you know, adoption, orphan care lie up here at the, at, at the top of thing, at the effects of thing, the results of things. So it's not going to solve it by itself. But I want to say this on the back end of that. It is one part of solving the problem. That, that right now, what, what orphan care, like foster care and adoption do right now, is it alleviates right now, that's happening right now, the immediate effects of all the bad fruit root down here. Like, like the immediate effects of despair and desperation and no one to look at a kid and say, we care, like you're ours. You are in our family. I, I'm your dad. This is your mom. It alleviates that, all of that suffering immediately. So although it does not solve the problem in its entirety, it does do a lot to address the problem. Now here's the second preface. I'm not just concerned with us engaging in the cause of the orphan. I am concerned with that, but not just concerned with that. I'm as concerned with us having the right motive behind it. Namely, we have experienced God's adopting grace that does something to our heart that has to be expressed horizontally. So, so now th- this, this desire of our heart becomes, h- how can we reflect God's heart for the fatherless? I mean, how can I show the world this picture? So see, it's vertical adoption doing something to us that leads to horizontal adoption and foster care. Now, I want to just make sure that that tension and that, that, that is clearly seen. Gospel logic goes like this. God does stuff for us. 
And that in turn produces a new heart that then starts doing things. So it's what God has done produces our doing. So I just want to make sure that motive and that, that is clearly seen. That's why we spent three weeks talking about nothing but vertical adoption. God's adopting grace for us to prepare us for this moment of saying, now that should lead to things. That should produce things in us. That, that should produce action in us. Maybe you could say it this way. I, I want the adoptive and, and foster care thrust of our church to be mainly an issue of theology, not an issue of biology. We want it to be primarily an issue of theology. That this is what God has done for us and now we're doing. That it's primarily that. Now, in, in just saying that, primarily an issue of theology, not biology, I, I think that the, the problem with a lot of our theology is we have blind spots in it. Like chances are right now for most of us in the room, the idea of God having a huge heart for the orphan and calling us to have a huge heart for the orphan is a blind spot in our theology. It's one of the reasons that when we ask the question, how many orphans are we visiting? For most of us, the answer is none. We've got a blind spot in our theology. So I'm working with this assumption that for most of us in the room, we don't come in here with a bias against foster care or a bias against adoption. We come in more just indifferent to the whole thing. Just not aware of the whole thing. Just kind of just unaware that this whole world of things exist out there that maybe God is calling us to be a part of. So in light of that, that most of us are just kind of indifferent and unaware, here's what I'm going to ask every family that makes up the Stonegate family. I'm going to ask every one of us to get our family before God and ask this question. In light of me knowing that God is, that you are God, asking me and us to engage in the cause and the care for the orphan— would it be your will for our family to engage in this specific way, adoption and or foster care? Would this be your will for us to do that? So, so are, we, are we all clear there? That I'm asking every one of us to have that conversation with God. God. God, would this be something that you would want me to do? God, would this be something that you would have our family do? Now, let, let me be clear here. Every person in our church, every family, we're not all going to adopt. That's not going to be, we're not all going to engage in foster care. So that's not going to be, for, we, we all have to be engaged in the cause of the orphan and the care for the orphan, but it's not all going to come through adoption and foster care. My hope is that God would give the people in our church family beautiful, creative ideas to help alleviate the suffering of orphans and the problem, the orphan problem in the world. So there's going to be a lot of different ways to address this, but there is going to be some in the room there's going to be some of us in the room. We're going to ask that question and God's going to look at you and say, yes, yes. For, for you, it's, it, you're, you're on. It's game time. But let me be clear. That's not going to be all of us. Now, for those who it's not, this is not going to be, God's going to look at you and say, you know what? The answer is no. This is not going to be your deal. This is not going to be the thing that I'm going to ask you to do. This is not going to be your specific way of engagement. I want you to know this, that the overarching call still exists. The call to be involved in the care of orphan is still there. And I think you're going to have a lot of great ways to express that in the future for our church. Just imagine this in the context of a home group. Just imagine you're in a home group and somebody in your group says yes to foster care. Well, see, for that family, they can't just drop that, you know, that child off anywhere. They've got to drop that child off inside of a family who is respite certified. They've gone through training to be certified to be able to keep foster children. And that's a great way to serve. That's a great way to come beside a person that, that is fostering and to say, man, we want to be involved in this. We're in this thing with you. That's just one of a million ways in our church family that you're going to be able to be involved in the cause of the orphan, even when you're not the one on the front line adopting or in foster care. Okay, so now, so that, that's just to be clear, that's not going to be for everyone. But again, there's going to be some of us, we're going to ask that question and the lights are going to start flashing. God's going to start talking. God's going to start melting some resistance. And we're going to find that the Spirit of God is leading us down that road. Now, let, let me just try to apply this specifically to a few different situations in our church. Here's the first one. Young marrieds in the room. So this would be those who are married, but they, they don't have kids yet. It, it is my hope that over time here, adoption and foster care would be a plan A for couples and not a plan B for couples. That, that out of a theology motivation, so not a biology, but a theology, that it would become plan A. 
that, that we would start to see that, that we were not, our, our adoption was not plan B to God. It was always plan A to God. And that would lead us to, 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 to adopting out of a plan A mentality. Now, can you imagine the conversation? It goes like something like this. So, so you're adopting? Yeah, yeah, man, we're, we're adopting. So can, can you just not have kids? No, no to, as far as we know, we can have kids. But, but you're adopting. I mean, is that not like a beautiful moment for you to explain the good news of the gospel? I, that's like silver platter moment for you. That it would be a plan A for us. Here's the second crew. How about our college and young singles? My hope is that, that this set of sermons for you has been a moment where the Spirit of God is planting seeds in your life that are going to blossom in beautiful pictures of adoption and foster care down the road. But I mean, I'm hopeful for that, for, for those within our church family that are single in college right now. And I want to encourage you that you can play a huge role right now within our church family of helping families that are in the midst of this, that are in the fray of this. And that can be anywhere from serving in preschool and children to being respite certified so you can babysit, so you can do all of that. But there is great opportunity for you right now to be engaged in the cause and care for the orphan. And one, one more category, couple with um, a little bit older kids. Kids all the way up to a little bit older kids. Gosh, I just, I would love to just see more conversation happening within families, with their kids of, man, why don't we start praying? Like you, as as our children start praying with us about the potential of adopting or fostering kids. And will you you just start praying that that with us? And Laura and I have had just the wonderful experience of doing that here lately. And uh, really, it's been over the last probably year and a half for us. And so the story with Laura and I goes like this. When we first got married, we, uh, we, we kind of got into the adoption thing primarily because of biology, not theology. We couldn't have kids. We had a really hard time having kids. And then like the baby making machine got turned on and we couldn't turn the thing off. Like it, it started happening like fast and furious. So then we looked up and we had three kids. And now we're back to the point of wrestling with this question. And you know what I love about it? it? Now it has nothing to do with biology. It is solely a theological thing for us now. That this is what God has done for us. And that thing right there has exploded with life inside of us. And I think God is moving us to be involved in the care of the orphan in a really specific way through fostering and adopting. So, so that, that's us purely out of a theological thing. I'm just praying for more and more that our families would be having conversations like that around the dinner table about what it is that God might want to do with our family and the cause of the orphan. One of my favorite uh, stories in our church is of a couple that they've been coming for six or eight months now. And over the last 30 years, or I'm sorry, over the last 10 years, they've had over 30 kids in and out of their home through foster care. They've adopted several of them. I'm just beautiful pictures of God's grace blowing up in their family through the burden and blessing of foster care. I'm just praying that there's going to be more stories for that in our church family, of people who are willing to engage on that level. So so here's what I'm asking every family within our church to to ask. And I don't care what age we are, what stage of life we are, that we are asking this question, that this is for all of us the question we are wrestling with over the next few weeks. God, would it be your will for our family— to engage in this call for the orphan? Would it be your will that we do that through adoption and or foster care? Would that be your will for us? That you would, you would have us do that? Now listen, I'm gonna ask you to be that vulnerable to God to do that. To, to actually like get in front of God with an open hand and say, God, if you say yes, I'm in. If you say no, I'm okay with that too. If you say yes, I'm in for this thing that you would be vulnerable enough before God to say, God, my yes is on the table. Now, God, will you please show me what it is that you would want in regards to this issue? Last thing, and then we're gonna kind of close up here. I am well aware that for most couples who are moving toward adoption, one of the, the members of the couple, husband or wife, one of the, the, you know, one part of the couple is normally resistant while the other is normally really warm to it. And my experience has been that the warm one has, in more cases than not, been the wife, and the cold one, the resistant one, has been the husband. So I want to just take a brief moment to just try to lovingly address that tension that probably exists in the room right now and or between families right now. That if that's you, whoever you are in the room, that you just feel that tension and that resistance to it, that, man, I just, 
I just don't want to do it. They're not my own kid. They're not, I mean, you just got all of this stuff rolling around in your head. I, I, want, I, I want to love you enough to, to make sure that you are asking the question of why is there resistance to that? And there are reasons for there to be resistance. There are like legitimate reasons that a couple could say adoption, foster care is not for us. That, that this is not a good time, a good place. God is not calling us to do it. There are good reasons for that. But can I just say there are a whole lot of really bad reasons. And I want to love you enough to make sure you are asking the, the question behind the question. That if your answer is no, if you're resistant and cold to it, that you're doing the hard work of asking the question, why am I cold to it? But why am I resistant to that? In light of what God has done for me, why would I be resistant toward th this idea of adoption and foster care? Now, I just want to make sure you do the hard work of getting to that answer of the why behind the reason. Okay, and we're done with this. I'm going to read a letter written on November the 6th, 1995 at 11:12 p.m. And this is written from a 50-year-old man. Now, listen for all you empty nesters who when you think down the road of your life you're seeing this. This is written from a guy who was 50 who was seeing this and all of a sudden God said, "Nope, it's not that, it's this." This is written from a 50-year-old man who is writing to his wife responding to her longtime desire to adopt and finally at the age of 50 saying yes to that. This is how the letter goes. Dear Noel, with confidence in the all-sufficient future grace of God, I am ready and eager to move ahead with the adoption of Talitha Ruth. I want to thank you that during these years when your heart has yearned to adopt a daughter, you have not badgered me or coerced me. You have been wonderfully patient. You have modeled faith in the sufficiency of prayer. You have always expressed support of me and my ministry, even if we should never adopt. You have been reasonable in all of our discussions. You have honored my, my misgivings as worthy of serious consideration. And I'm just praying for more letters like this. I realize more than ever that the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. This decision is not merely a tabulation of pros and cons. I would be deceiving myself to think that. Yet I am persuaded that this decision to adopt honors God more than not adopting. To my perspective, it seems to be the path that will spread a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples. I believe it will bless our church and not hinder our work there. I believe it is the path of the greatest love for the greatest number, and therefore I have confidence that God is pleased with it. I choose it not under constraint or with any reservation of commitment. I relinquish every thought. I love this. I relinquish every thought that because you initiated the, this idea, that you will bear the blame for the burdens it will bring. As with our choice to have children in the first place, there is a common and united commitment to all that God will be for us in this path, including any frowning providence that he plans to sanctify us. I believe our eyes are open, though we have learned that a toothache expected and the toothache experienced are not the same. We have come through enough to believe that God's future grace will be sufficient. His mercies are new every morning, and there will be mercies for every weight and every wonder on this path of our lives. I thank God for you. I enter, I enter with you gladly on this path. Whether we live to see our daughter grown or not, we will have done well to take her in. Life is very short, whether 12 hours like Ashley Hope or 50 years like me or 76 like my father or 94 like Crystal Anderson. What matters is not that we do all we might have done or all we dreamed of doing, but that while we live, we live by faith in future grace and walk in the path of love. The times are in God's hands, not ours. With this common conviction, we will, God willing, embrace our new daughter and give ourselves with all the might that God inspires in us to love her into the kingdom. May the Lord establish the plans of our hearts and bring Talitha Ruth and the future husband God already knows into deep and lasting fellowship with Christ. And Talitha was an African-American, and he goes on to say this, May she be an ebony brooch of beauty around your aging neck. 
and a crown of purity and joy on your graying head. I love you, John Piper. Let's pray together. God, I pray for my friends in the room who have not experienced the amazing grace of your adoptive love. And God, I pray that right now that there might be this moment of surrender in their life. For for those who have never put their faith in you, never trusted you, never pushed their chips in with Jesus, there would be a moment right now where they would just throw their hands up in the air and they would look up to you and say, I am trusting Jesus to do everything that needed to be done for you to bring me into your family, for you to rescue me, for you to save me. And that right now there might be beautiful adoptions taking place. And God, I pray for the future of our church family, that we would be a church that reflects your heart for the fatherless. And God, I pray that would specifically, I pray it would be reflected in a lot of different ways, but I pray it would specifically be reflected in dozens and dozens of families who would get before you and hear you say yes to the call of adoption and foster care and who would put their family in the way of great blessing from you and great burden who would be willing to visit orphans in their affliction, to to roll up their sleeves and to bear the burdens with them. So God, might, might you do that for us and with us? It's in your good name I ask it. Amen. Why? That's a a question my wife and I get asked a lot when we tell people that we want to adopt. Uh, You guys, you can, you can have kids, right? Yes, yes, we can. Uh, we, we did. Olivia Gray Davidson, our beautiful, silly, healthy, amazing, perfect gift from God. When God knit lived together in my wife's womb, he gave me a front row seat to the miracle of life, which was much better than the movie they showed us in ninth grade that made everyone awkward and avoid eye contact for a week. Uh, she is a blessing beyond what we deserve beyond what words could express. And and I thank God every day for my daughter. Okay, okay, so I I don't get it. So if if, if you can have kids, if you guys do, you have a daughter, why not just have more kids of your own? Why adopt? Why adopt? Because I believe that there are children around the world who are also miracles of life who are also knit together in their mother's womb, who also deserve a family. And make no mistake, when I say family, I'm talking about more than simple biology, a a mixture of X and Y chromosomes and DNA code. No, when I say family, I'm talking about a collection of people who love that child with every ounce of their being. Parents who may not have the same name or skin color or nationality or background, but who love that child completely and claim them proudly as their own. Why adopt? Because I have met and I have taught too many kids, wonderful kids, kids who are full of joy, full of life, full of hope, kids created in the image of God, created on purpose for a purpose, kids who deserve to be loved and encouraged and wrestled with and worried about and tucked in at night and told about the loving grace of Jesus Christ. Kids who have no fault of their own have found themselves alone without anyone at home to say, I love you. I am proud of you. I will never let you go. You are mine. Why adopt? Because adoption is a picture of the gospel on full display. Our Heavenly Father choosing us to be a part of His family. Not as slaves, but as sons and daughters. Not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. Why adopt? Because my Heavenly Father has adopted me. Even though unlike these kids who found themselves in situations they never chose, never wanted, never asked for, I'm the one who left my heavenly father. Like the prodigal, I ran away from my dad, spat in his face, pushed him aside, nailed him to the cross, and told him to stay there so I could do things my way. I don't deserve to be adopted. 
I don't deserve to be called a son of the Almighty God. I don't deserve God's love and grace. I deserve to be abandoned. I deserve to be left in the shame of my sin. I deserve to be crushed under the weight of my depravity. Yet, God, who is rich in mercy, has chosen me to be a part of his family. He has proclaimed boldly, come home, my son. You are mine. Why adopt? Because I believe in the gospel. And even though it may cost us more and be harder than we could ever imagine, I want to do for a child a small piece of what God has done for me. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.